you have hormone resistance, insulin resistance? Well, by the time you may take a test or your doctor gives you a test, you've probably been in that state for many, many years and you've already caused damage to your brain, nerves, and your organs of your body. Well, in this episode, you're going to learn a very simple test you can do at home that will tell you if this is a problem. Here's the best part. We actually give the solution because this is a massive problem and yet it's going undiagnosed. So this episode, get your notebook ready because there's a lot of take home that you need to do and you need to spread the word on this. Watch this episode. Hello everyone, welcome to Cellular Healing TV. I'm Ashley Smith, and today we welcome Dr. Rita Marie Lascalzo, who is here to discuss pre-insulin resistance, and she'll share her specific process for using glucose and ketone testing to detect it. She will also explain why she favors a whole foods plant-centered keto diet, intermittent fasting, and fasting as strategies to reverse blood sugar imbalances at all stages. This is going to be a really exciting episode. So let's get started and welcome Dr. Rita Marie and of course, Dr. Papa. Welcome both of you. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having me here. Well, you're a familiar face at our seminar, my seminar, that's for sure. <laughs> so um, we, we welcome you finally on Cell TV. You have a great, great message, uh, you know, so much. Look, I don't want this show just to be about diabetes because it goes into weight loss resistance, hormone dysregulation, right? And all of these things. However, there's so many people out there that wouldn't necessarily be diagnosed with diabetes, but yet they have insulin problems. So one of the things I want to tackle right up front is how do we test? Because you have some unique ways like I do to test for this problem. Like, you know, do I have a, a hormone resistance, an insulin problem? Because conventional testing, uh, you know, it, it's not accurate. It, it, there's so many, you know, myths around it and misnomers. So let's, let's start here. I mean, you know, how do I know that this is a problem? How do I know if I have this insulin resistance or hormone resistance problem? Yeah, that's a great question because the problem is the conventional testing not only doesn't catch it soon enough, it's dangerous because people are running around with insulin problems for literally decades yeah. before it gets picked up by conventional testing, which just says, if your fasting glucose goes above 120, 125, then you have diabetes. But what about the decades that preceded that when the levels were up and down and the insulin levels were high and the sugar was high, but fasting glucose, as you know and teach, is the last thing to change, right? So we've got to detect this much sooner. And I love to work with postprandial glucose testing. And postprandial meaning after meals. Not just two hours after meals, like a diabetic is told, hey, check your sugar before you eat. As long as it's not above 140 or 162 hours later, you're good. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. That's absolutely wrong. And when we can detect these imbalances long before, long before diagnosis, then what happens is all those, those side effects, so to speak, of diabetes, peripheral neuropathies, retinopathies, nephropathies, damage to blood vessels, all of those have been happening for literally decades before the diagnosis. And then suddenly somebody has, you know, blindness that occurs and you know, they've got neuropathies and they're, they have a heart attack, 
but we just yeah. what happened to some family members of mine and they didn't get a second chance. Well, you know, I mean, this problem is so widespread because it's a cause of inflammation, right? So meaning that chronic pain, people have all these issues that they never go, oh, it's this insulin, uh, you know, resistance problem, hormone resistance problem that I have that's really driving the problem. So, you know, detecting it early is a really important factor. And, you know, I, I teach testing your own glucose and ketones to determine your eating windows and intermittent fasting windows and, you know, doing that in the morning on an empty stomach. But to your point, testing um, after meals is the way to, to see how am I responding to my food? And what foods should I not eat any? And what foods should I eat right. more of? And by the way, it's one of the ways I test for coffee. Does your coffee work in your intermittent fasting window? Well, what is your glucose do before and just 30 minutes after what is it if it's, it's spiking up then that could break you out of your fast so looking at glucose after meals um, let's talk about it let's give them a strategy let, let me back up one second before we give them these strategies we're also going to talk about strategies of how to utilize you know diet and fasting strategies which is you know I, I think we both would agree you can't reverse these conditions and get your body to heal without understanding how to work these things in and around it. So we're gonna get into that in a minute too. How did you get here? What, what's your story? <laughs> well, I got into the whole health field just through having problems of my own, like you and many others of us, right? You just fall in apart and no Western medicine approach does anything for it and you start digging and exploring. And I've always been a, having a scientific brain. I come from the computer field and I've always been a mathematician and computer scientist and so I know how to solve problems. So it's like, okay, I need to learn the hardware and the software of this body so then I can figure out why all this is going wrong. And long story short, went through a couple of years of trial and error back in the 80s, by the way, before the internet and before right and so i figured it out and i'm like this it shouldn't have to be this hard for other people so i quit my job which was in the computer field making good money and i said no i'm going back to school and i went back to school and got my degrees in chiropractic and acupuncture herbal medicine and nutrition and then you know came out and started to do this as far as the insulin resistance work though it happened over time you know as i'm looking at people i'm going I think they, I don't know why, it's just like based on knowing the hardware and software, I think it's something related to insulin. And so I started testing people early on. I started having them buy a glucose meter. I remember buying my first glucose meter. I don't even remember when it was, but when I went back to it after a while, I'm like, oh, look, the strips aren't even made for this thing anymore. So I would get them to test. And then I thought about it. Like I thought about the physiology. I thought about the biochemistry of it. I thought, well, you know, we have them test and then two hours later, it should be back to baseline at two hours later if you're good, if you're really healthy. So what do we do instead? Well, studies show that the peak, like the highest level that the glucose will get, is usually going to happen somewhere between a half an hour and an hour, right? So we want to catch that peak. So I started teaching people to take their glucose every 15 minutes until they started to see it go back down, right? And so that's how I came up with the process of teaching people how to figure out what foods are actually good for you, not what foods the glycemic index or Dr. Pompa says, or you know somebody else says, no, what foods work for you? And how do we eliminate those foods? And also tie it in with you know stress and sleep and all the other exercise. And how do you keep your glucose in the exact right range for you? Yeah, that's why the test for coffee is, does my coffee work in the fasting window? I said, test your glucose before, 30 minutes after, 
and if on average it's rising every time, you're gonna have to change something. Maybe it's what you're putting in coffee, right? If it's fats, try black. If it's black, try fats. So it could be a food intolerance. It could be your body doesn't like caffeine. It could be your body, whatever it is, the idea is change something. But I love the idea of, well, what's going on after my typical lunch or dinner or breakfast? Well, test, right? And then you can have an idea of what foods to work with. And to your point, maybe have an early diagnosis because if it's, taking three hours for your blood sugar to come down, you have a problem. So, so where do you want to start with it? Do you want to start with like how to look at food problems or do you want to start with how do we know, you know, if maybe I have an insulin problem or glucose problem? So yeah. So I want to know, do they have it? And there are tests that people can do early on that are not done except if you're already diabetic when it's too late, like hemoglobin A1C. There's some issues with that sometimes in athletes and others it's not that accurate. There's fructosamine and there's insulin. So those are tests that you can have your doctor run if they're willing to do it, or you can go to a you know direct access lab and have it run as a as an early screen. Like why not at 18 or 20 or whatever when they first go in and get their full blown lab testing? Let's throw in insulin and and hemoglobin A1C just to see if there's some indications that there's a problem because when you wait. I had this guy come in to see me and his fasting glucose had been in the 90s, which you and I know that's not in the ideal range, but in terms of medicine, that's considered ideal range. So they never said anything. And he said, you know, I'm starting to get like numbness and tingling in my feet. He goes, can, I've heard about diabetic neuropathy. Can that be that? He goes, no, no way. You don't have that. You're not in that range. So he just went on and, okay, so he heard about this test called hemoglobin A1C, and they were doing this little screening at work, and he said, well, what the heck, I'm going to get this test done. Guess what his, his hemoglobin A1C was when he got it first tested? This is a non-diabetic who's told he's fine, 11. That's a massive yeah. So just so people know, the H1, you know, she's talking about an HGB A1C, right? Some people just call it A1C, and we're looking at, you know, glucose levels on average over three months, right? It just kind of is a way to spot your glucose over three months. But you did say there's some inaccuracies with it, which there is. Share, share a little bit about that. So it's, it's kind of an accurate test because we're looking at three months, but there are also times where it's not so accurate. Share that. Yeah, so if somebody's super athletic, it turns out that their, their red blood cells, which is we're measuring the amount of sugar that's coating your red blood cells. Right. Their red blood cells last longer. They're healthier, so it's really not a three-month average, and so the number is is out of whack. It may look like it's higher than it really is, right? And what and is so, the normal range that you like? Because my ranges are different than the lab ranges. Your range is probably similar to mine. I like it between 4.8 and 5. Yeah, that's what I like, yeah. Yeah, and, and the lab ranges, they say if you go above 5.6, they consider you in the pre-diabetic stage, insulin right. resistance stage. And if it's, you know, in the seven, 6.5 or something like that or higher, you're considered diabetic. Like to me, it's like as you're creeping up, if you're five and then you're 5.2 and then you're 5.3, 5.3 is still normal, not normal anymore, right? So you're creeping up. Why don't we catch it when your body starts to go out of balance and dysfunction? Right. Okay. So then let's, let's talk about now testing your own. And by the way, we'll put the link of how you get a keto glucose meter, We you know, we use Keto Mojo, it does yep, glucose and ketones, and you're gonna talk about both. But okay, so now, okay, you recommended testing 
every 15 minutes after 30 minutes, right? So 30. I usually have them do it at the beginning. I'll just have them do it every 15 because there are some people who have a, an early peak. Okay. Um, so I just look at that. All right. So 15 minutes. Up to, go ahead. After we've established that their peak is at 35 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour, 45, whatever we've established, then I tell them, you know, stop breaking their fingers so often. We, we kind of have an idea. So yeah. what's the normal peak and what peak are we looking for? And then when should the glucose be back to normal? So yeah. that's a great question. I think it should be back to normal at around two hours. Might be a slightly longer, might be slightly shorter, but somewhere around that two hour range, it should be back down to baseline, you know, within five points. Well, what's normal? What's, what's considered normal? Like in, in diabetics, they're told as long as your two hour glucose is at 140 or below, you're good. It never should go to 140. It never should go to 120. I believe it should be in 110 or lower at, the, at that peak if you're eating properly to keep your body in balance. And if you're on a keto diet, it's not going to go above 110 unless you're already diabetic and you're in the process of reversing it. So then it starts to come down, but it shouldn't go above 110. The studies I've looked at, when it goes above 120, even like temporarily, right? Say it's only up there for 20 minutes. Everything above 120 starts to damage those peripheral nerves, starts to damage the retina. And even there's, there's some studies that show above 100 starts to damage the islet cells, which are the cells inside the pancreas that make insulin. Mm. So you're damaging your body whenever you get those high spikes. Of, of so explain to people why glucose is so damaging. And, and insulin for the brain, right? Your, your brain needs glucose, but it also has to release the insulin to get the glucose you know, in, in the cell. But we know that there's something called insulin degrading enzyme, whose job is, you know, to get rid of the insulin because it can cause problems. So explain why insulin can be damaged to the brain, why glucose can be damaging yes. for people. So first of all, we just mentioned earlier that measure hemoglobin A1C is how sugar coated your red blood cells are. And think about like if you ever made taffy when you were a kid, you know, you heat up the sugar, the syrup, and and it gets spiky when when that you know, it's just yeet when it's at the, the temperature. So you'd be spiky. So imagine your red blood cells are covered with this sugar that gets spiky. What's that gonna do to the linings of your vessels? That's not very good. The, the glucose, the high levels of glucose damage the nerves, the nerve endings going, especially the small nerves going into your feet, in your retinas, in the kidneys, it damages the cells and the nephrons, nephropathy. So we really, we don't want the high levels of glucose to be anywhere because it has the potential to damage cells in the body. The other thing with insulin, oh, like a laundry list of all kinds of things at high levels of insulin. I'm sure you've taught people this many, many a time, but it affects other hormones. It affects sex hormone binding globulin, makes that go up, makes your effective utilizable testosterone and estrogen go down, right? Because it's bound onto this, this thing. It, it affects TSH. It causes TSH to go up. It affects receptors, not just insulin receptors and in creating insulin resistance, but all the hormones can have a resistance. Usually you develop a resistance to a hormone when the level of that hormone is too high. Well, insulin affects thyroid receptors. Insulin yeah. affects progesterone receptors. Insulin re affects all the other hormones, the receptors for the hormones. So now you've got all these hormones floating around in your system and 
the doctor thinks you're fine because they do a blood test and your hormone levels are fine. And meanwhile, they can't get, you can't get the hormones into your cells. It causes the excretion of, of magnesium, excess ma magnesium excretion through the kidney. Magnesium is critical for getting the glucose across the cell walls with the insulin. It causes increased uh, retention of sodium, which could raise your blood pressure. It causes damage to the lining of your blood vessels. It causes them to get stiff. And you know that your blood vessels need to be fluid, right? You're gonna go run, you've got a flood of blood coming through, they have to be elastic. They get stiffened, which causes high blood pressure, which can cause damage, stroke, heart attack. Um, there's so many more, but those are just a few things that yeah. are caused by high levels of insulin. Yeah, I always say if you wanna age faster than anyone, just keep spiking your glucose and insulin levels, right? I mean, look, periodically the body deals with it, but it, when this is starting to go on day in, day out, you're aging prematurely just to wrap everything you set up in a, in a nutshell, driving inflammation of the cell, affecting your hormones, affecting the way your brain works, yeah. your nerves, every aspect of all the pain syndromes and all the syndromes everyone has that are chasing it with medications and even supplements. When the problem is you're running too high glucose and insulin for too long, too much. Yeah. right so yeah it's it, it's so we'll talk about some other other solutions in a minute but let's not leave on the table you know of how to use post glucose as looking at food intolerances or food that you, you know may not be agreeing with so talk about that a little bit yeah so foods that are high glycemic flour sugar um some of the whole grains even those can cause the glucose to go up However, if you eat a food that is causing your body to have an alarm state, like, oh, this food causes inflammation, that inflammation is going to cause the glucose to go up. It causes cortisol to be produced of stored sugar, right? So, so you can actually get an idea. People will say, wow, I just ate this meal and I had you know, broccoli and everything else seemed to be what I normally would eat, but this but it went up, I'm like, well, you know, broccoli is not a common thing to be allergic to, but maybe you are, you know, or whatever it might be that they had that wasn't really a high glycemic food, but caused their sugar to go up. So it's a stress on the body. Yeah. So, I mean, so you know, maybe uh, don't panic if you see this high level, it could be a food intolerance of some sort. And I'm going to be honest with you. I, I'm not, I don't run food intolerance testing anymore just because you know, if, if I, I'm a scientist in my heart, meaning I, you know, let's run it three days later and I go, wait a minute, we just got different results. A month later, really different results. And then people stop eating these foods, they become intolerant to the new ones they're eating. Yeah. And it's, you know, so I don't even bother with it. I think this is a better way because at least we can, it's cheap. <laughs> you know, we can, we can immediately see what we're actually reacting to. Right, it's kind of like the pulse test. Dr. Coco wrote a book ages ago about the pulse test that it, the pulse will go up as a stress response to eating a food that you're intolerant to, but your blood sugar can too. Right? it's not, there's no absolute, it's not gonna be like, well, if my, my blood sugar doesn't go up, I mustn't be, I must um, be tolerant to it. It might not be, you know, you have to take a lot of other things into account, but it's just, it's a stressful situation on the body when you eat right. a food that causes an inflammatory response of the immune system. Yeah. Yep. All right. So let, let's talk about, you know, something you and I love and agree on is, is fasting, um, you know, for this solution. What, why does fasting work? And I, I guess maybe we should be a little bit 
you know, what type of fasting am I talking about? Because I'm, I'm a believer in longer fasts and shorter fasts, daily fasts. So all of which are great solutions, but talk yes. about that. There's all kinds of fasting, right? There's even fasting with food. I just ran a challenge for people on Facebook. Partial fasting. fasting with food, <laughs> right? Um, fasting mimicking. And basically, you know, fasting, during the fasting state, we have the glucose naturally drops. Now, in some people, the glucose will go up first because it triggers a response and then they, you know, they're dumping glycogen stores and all that. It's a temporary thing, but uh, usually, um, especially after time, if they're doing intermittent fasting, which would be like, you know, say it's 14 hours, 16 hours, 18 hours a day without eating and then a short window. I like to call that time-restricted eating rather than intermittent fasting. Um, then there's every other day fasting, right? Where you go, you eat dinner tonight and you don't eat dinner again until the next day. It's a 24-hour fast. And there's a little bit longer fast, you know, 36-hour fast or five-day fast. I love five-day fasting. You know, you run a group where you do five-day fasting every few months. I try to do a five-day fast every month, six weeks or so, just because it's just a nice reset. And I have a lot of genetics that predispose me to insulin resistance and diabetes. So I figured it's a good way for me to just always reset. And ever since I started doing that regularly, my fasting glucose is lower. My response, my postprandial oh. glucose is lower. My ketones, I mean, I'm, I'm perpetually in a state of mild ketosis, even if I'm not trying, um, you know, unless I go out and eat a banana, but you know, that's going to change it. But most of the time, my ketones are, are elevated. So when you fast, you get a, a decrease in insulin, you get an increase in growth hormone, which helps you to burn fat store right? right? Your ketones naturally start to go up. You reach that state of autophagy, and I love the ratio. I first heard that from you, and then Keto Mojo now has a, cal a calculator on their site, which is really cool. And now when I do my fasts within, sometimes by the end of the first day, but definitely by the end of the second day, I'm in maximum autophagy. You know, it's so good, so it's good, so healing. My first introduction to fasting was through one of those allergy relief books where five days off of food and then you test your foods. And I botched that really badly when I added the foods back because I had no idea what I was doing back in the day. My next introduction to fasting was doing a long fast, a 28-day fast. So I did a 28-day water fast and it completely cured everything. Like everything that was wrong with me, the candida overgrowths, stomach problems, the sinus problems, the headaches, the brain fog, all went away after doing that 28-day water fast. So it's, it's a phenomenal healing tool that makes metabolic shifts in the body that helps your body to detox, to cleanse better, and to keep everything nice and steady in terms of your yeah, I mean, I always say, look, I mean, fasting is a stress on the body, like exercise, right? And if you adapt, you get stronger. Um, when you fast, you put a stress, particularly on the mitochondria and the cell where you make energy. Bad cells don't adapt. Good cells get stronger. Simple as that. And through autophagy, the body gets rid of these cells that are causing all this bad stuff that we're talking about, all the mischief, the damaged cells, the ones that aren't using glucose and insulin right. It's that stinking smart. It goes after those those cells. So after enough fasting, you just get rid of more and more bad cells and create better and better ones. It's yeah. that simple. <laughs> it's very simple. And you know, even with the fasting with food, I first heard about it from Dr. Longo, as you know, um, and I looked at it, but I, most of my people like real food. They weren't crazy about doing the kit. So I created a meal plan that followed the macros and the calories and all that. And I was like, I don't know if this is going to work real well. Let's see. 
And we had a couple of people who were diabetic who dropped their fasting glucose by 200 points, a couple of others that dropped them by 100 points. People got into ketones of 4.5 to 5.5 by the fifth day, and they were eating. They were enjoying it. They were eating meals and posting the pictures of their meals and, and loving it. Yeah, no, I find it even like, you know, diabetics who have just, or people uh, who have trouble not eating, it's a great place to start. I, you know, I, I learned, I, I call it partial fasting because I think I learned it, uh, oh gosh, probably 10 years ago. It was from a Frenchman, Albert Nazir, and uh, he used partial fasting on the backside of water fast, and then he started using it on the front side for, mm. you know, really challenged sick people that just couldn't handle too much autophagy. And a partial fast was a better way to start for them. Uh, just reducing calories, depending mm -hmm. on body size. He always lined it up on body weight. That's kind of where I got that as from him. You know, the, the bigger people can get away with a little higher calories, higher. smaller people less. And then cutting the protein, again, based on your body weight. I, I, I discussed that in my book as well. But you're right. It's, it's a great alternative for people um, that, hey, I can start there. Let me just start with, you know, reducing what I'm taking in my body for five days. I call it, it's famine, right? It's feast exactly. or famine, you know? It's Feasting. like, in, uh, it works, you still get autophagy. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And the other thing about it is that um, even just starting with like an intermittent fasting or, or time-restricted eating, most people, even just going to 12 hours between meals, you think, oh, that's normal, right? Well, it should be normal, but it's not for the average American who has their last dish of ice cream and their cookies right before they go to bed. And then when they first get up, they're eating their toast and then drinking their coffee. So there's like an eight-hour window for some people. And, and just extending that to 12 hours, which shouldn't be hard. And then once you do, it's so much easier for people than I was expecting it to be. It's easy for me because I'm fasting adapted and I've been doing it for a long time. I can make friends with hunger, it's okay, no big deal. But for a lot of people, so many people have come and said, oh my God, I, I'm, I'm 16 hours between meals and, and I'm fine and I'm gonna go 24 hours. And one of my clients just wrote me a note and she says, I'm on day three of a five day fast. I'm like, Wow, <laughs> she'd never gone more than 24 before. So I thought it was really fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's the key to living longer, you know, and when we look at studies of just eating less, you know, yeah. how many people watching and listening to this have tried to push food away, right? Eat half your meal, push it away. Eventually you fail, right? Because you either give into it or your body thinks it's starving eventually and then it just starts holding on to everything you know, if you're eating 800 calories a salad but short term you know famines work like five days of eating less and then not does work right. <laughs> you know, right. our bodies are genetically set up for that but long-term caloric restriction doesn't but intermittent fasting which you know eating less often is really a strategy to eat less and therefore live longer healthy yeah so. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I like what you talk about with the flexibility of, you know, feast days, fast days. And I think when we keep our bodies guessing, we don't go into that metabolic slowdown that we get over long haul. I had somebody who had been 600 calories a day and she was not losing any weight. Oh, yeah. She had a lot of weight to lose. And I said, okay, I want you to add 300 calories worth of coconut tea to your diet you know, coconut oil, whatever it is. She and was she like, started ah. losing weight. She was like, no, I can't, I can't. Well, within three days, she started losing weight again. Yeah, of course. The body went, oh, okay, I'm not starving. I'll start burning I'm starting, fat. I'll, I'll, I'll increase it, more energy. Yeah, yeah so exactly. That, yeah. That, that's awesome. No, it, it works. What's your unstoppable health? What's your book about? 
My book is actually a novel. It's a novel about, it's, it's set as my, uh, a composite of some of my clients and patients I've worked with over the years. And it's set so that people actually read it. You know how you pick up a book and you go, this is a great book. And after chapter one, it goes on the shelf with all the other great books. I wanted to keep people going from chapter to chapter. So I follow her journey of shifting her diet, shifting her mindset, and going through this process. And um, most people say that it's the first health book they read cover to cover. It's That's pretty awesome. basic. It's not like, you know, elaborate. We're not going into fasting theories and autophagy and all that. But it's a really great book for people. Where, where can they get the book? Amazon. Amazon.com. Awesome. Yeah, it's a, as an ebook on Kindle or as a hardcover book. Remember the days where we used to actually go to Borders and actually Oh, remember when we used to do that and you just sit there and just read? Uh, no, I wouldn't, wouldn't even buy them because I just, you know, and they encouraged hanging out, but I would just like quickly like brief books and like get the general idea and move on. Oh, gosh. I know, I think the sales are probably better for people now that they have to actually buy it. And have That's it. what I mean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's funny. So what's a, what's a day of Dr. Rita Marie look like? Um, you know, what, do you, what time's your first meal? What do you do? You know, yeah. do you drink coffee, tea? Do you not? I mean, give us your day. Yeah, so my typical day is I get up in the morning and I exercise and meditate and then I start working. And I usually eat somewhere. My first meal is usually between noon and two, um, sometimes not until four. And I have, usually my first meal is uh, coconut yogurt and a green smoothie. Sometimes I'll have a, a chia porridge with that. You know, I'll take the coconut yogurt and put it over chia seed and add a few nuts and seeds. Um, sometimes I have a quick meal of like a jar of sauerkraut with an avocado on top of it. So I try to get a probiotic in there. That's basically what I had today. I had an avocado. I had some like, you know, it's called double cream um, cottage cheese and it's all grass fed. But anyway, had that with this fresh press olive oil and then... Um, uh, with the good uh, fermented uh, vegetables on top. <laughs> yeah, fermented vegetables, is, uh, to me, the ferments are just so much what you know feeds your microbiome, makes a healthy body and all. So that's what I typically do for my first meal. Um, I drink water up until then. Occasionally I'll have some herbal tea, but generally I just do water until my first meal. Um, I don't drink coffee and never have liked coffee. Always thought it was the most foul tasting stuff on the planet. So I never developed a taste for it. But if I drink a tea on the colder days, which aren't that many because I live in Austin, but you know, I'll be having a mug of, of herbal tea, chamomile tea, Tulsi tea, something like that to get me through. Um, usually I don't put anything in it so I don't have to worry about it breaking my fast. Um, and then dinner is usually some sort of big salad with you know, nuts and seeds, and I make these amazing dressings that I put on. Um, I have maybe a stir fry in the winter. In the summer, I don't even want to cook food. I like a simple, simple approach. Um, yeah, over the weekend, I taught a couple of classes, so now I have all these dehydrated pizza crusts that I made that were made out of nuts and seeds and vegetables, and had a pizza last night, so, you know, made a cashew-based cheese for the top of it, put some tomatoes and some pesto, and voila, had a pizza. So occasionally I do that kind of stuff too. And I, you know, I, I do have a sweet tooth, so I tend to, if I'm gonna do a dessert, I'll take some raw cacao and almond butter or coconut butter, and I'll mix that together, maybe a little bit of MCT mm. oil and uh, some, you know, chocolate stevia, and voila, it's a little pudding. So, quick and easy stuff like that. 
Man, I see that's creativity there. I wish I had so much creativity. I'm like, I'm such a simple eater half the time just because I'm always like moving, you know? Yeah, that's like usually meat, meat and vegetables, uh, grass fed only, but. Uh, you know, for dinner and like like you in the in the afternoon, something like super quick, you know, super like I just had today. Yeah, you know, and it, it's uh, and some days I eat one meal, you know. So in some days I eat a lot more, right? I, it's yeah, beast famine, yeah. you know, for me. Some days I eat one meal, but it starts at two and it ends at six. So uh, yeah, that's well, a very actually that's a very European way of eating and a very tribal way of eating. So just one big social meal. Believe me, I do that plenty of days too. Yeah. So it's like I. I feel like, oh yeah, well I start eating at four and I kind of just eat from four to seven and I'm done, you know, but I start my eating. So yes. it's like, I think I'm eating two meals sometimes, but it's like, no, I, I kind of just ate. You know, we're also people have to understand this is, you know, we're talking about like eating two meals, one meal. People go, well, I only eat that, but they're putting things in their mouth constantly. They just don't realize because they didn't sit down and actually eat, right? Or it's exactly. the kombucha, it's this, it's that. You know, I mean, those those little things still will spike your glucose and insulin. They will. They will. So the thing about that, that grazing concept that was popular for a while and more and more people are getting wise that that's not right. I mean, just if you think about the biochemistry of insulin, insulin's a fat storage hormone. Right. And if you're eating every couple of hours, the insulin is constantly elevated. Do you want to be in fat storage mode most of the day? No. So you separate, depending on how many meals you're going to eat. If you're going to eat three, make them four to six hours apart. You need to make them four to six hours apart, yeah. you know. And and if you have two in that four to six hours apart, you've shrunk your eating window, so you have more of a fasting window. And then fasting is where all healing happens. Fasting fed, fed is where you know building happens, and fasting is you need where, both. Yeah, and we need both, right? Yeah, you need both. I mean, even when I say, hey, fast for five days, pick another five days sometime and feast. Literally, I mean, do high protein or do high healthy carbs. I mean, do something, you know, to stimulate the other pathway, right? Both, both are healing, anabolic, catabolic, you need uh, both. Yeah, absolutely. I just did that while I was in Hawaii. I couldn't resist. They had all these, they were making creams and cheeses out of cultured macadamia nuts. I mean, is that mm. tropical or decadent? So yeah, I was eating my celery sticks with tropical decadence on top of it. And yeah, I did that for more than five days. Gosh, yeah, I'm, yeah, see, that, that's, that's easy to do. And I, you know, I love it because I don't get bored. You know, it's yeah. like if I was just doing, you know, keto day in, day out, it's like, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd get bored with it myself. And, and people have to understand, don't beat yourself up. If you, you know, do change it up for a period of time, keep it healthy, but change it up. It's, Exactly. It helps exactly. the mental status. It helps it a lot. And, and my uh, attitude about making these pizzas and um, puddings and things like that out of, it's still keto food. You know, I'm having a pizza crust. It's still a keto right. pizza crust because it's made with vegetables and some nuts and seeds, right? Still a keto pizza crust. And, but you're eating this food and going, huh? That's why people, when they did my challenge, they were like, I'm eating all this feast food. And I'm losing weight and balancing my body. So it's really, I think it's important to keep it interesting. If you're just fine with opening the fridge and eating, that's fine. But most people don't, they don't, they don't like that. After a while, they're just reaching for the peanut butter and jelly. So now kind of, you know, bringing all this information we just talked about into a, a modern day, very common problem is, look, I, you know, I'm doing, you know, maybe what, even what we said, or I'm doing, you know, this diet or that diet. I, my weight loss just stopped. It's plateaued. 
talk, talk, talk to us why, because there's a few reasons why weight loss would plateau. And then let's talk about what we can do about it. Yeah. So one reason is sustained low calorie eating for a long period of time. Absolutely. Metabolism goes down. You, you have to vary that, right? You have to just, you know, do that for a while and then go up. That's why the intermittent fasting works so well. It's because you're having this, this amazing window where your body's burning fat and then you're eating, even if you're eating the same, you know, the number of calories, a maintenance number of calories, you're still going to get into that mode where your body's doing housekeeping. So I think that the sustained low calorie eating is one of the causes. Uh, hormonal imbalances is another. So if you really are having too much insulin secretion or insulin, or insulin resistance, although if you're doing long-term keto type of approach, you generally you reverse the insulin resistance relatively quickly within a month or two. Um, but other other hormones can be out of balance. Your thyroid can get out of balance. Your thyroid can downregulate. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things. You know, one of the things biome that, imbalances and not adjusting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know what? One of the things I, I'll add to it too uh, in this conversation, even if it's a causative factor of some of the things you said, is toxins just in general. Oh right? yeah. You know, Toxins go in and they, they come into those membranes of the cells and they just drive inflammation, blunt the hormone receptors, create insulin resistance. Yep. I remember, gosh, years ago, it was a study that I used to show. I, I, I haven't shown it in a while, but 35% um, of uh, insulin resistance was caused by toxicity. And then, then I read another study. It was like, um, how much of it's autoimmune? It was like almost 50%. So I'm like, okay, well, if you add this to this, you're, you're at 85%. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Toxin-induced uh, insulin resistance or hormone resistance. You know, even one of the reasons I've seen too is people, they're losing fat cells. And then what's stored in the fat cells? The toxins, right? Yeah. And then, so now you start pushing toxins out. And of course, it, sh it creates insulin resistance and you sh it shuts down weight loss and it affects the thyroid, shuts yeah. down weight loss. So, you know- yeah. That, that's another big positive. The body also, when, when you're releasing the toxins from the cells, now you have it in circulation. The, you're going, oh, I got to store this back. So you release it and then it gets stored back. And you release it and it's stored back and you hit it, this plateau. And I had somebody who was really would get, she would lose the weight for a while. And then after four or five days, she started out, really got neurologic symptoms from releasing and her weight loss would plateau. So we had to around with that in, in other ways. You know, in my, you know this about my book is we had the fasting trio created, which is um, cytodetox, which is, it's a binder that works in and around your cells. Bind that just stays in the gut and pulls that toxic complex out so you don't auto-intoxicate. Yeah. Then there was another one, it's called fast tonic. It's molecular hydrogen because people get this rise up of hydroxy free radicals. But those three together, we learned so when people fasted they would release toxins and feel like garbage right and like and everything would be bad so we learned by just throwing these into the system to control that toxin release they'd be able to fast with greater success and anyway it might be a help to someone listening absolutely so, yeah absolutely yeah. awesome so this is a, a question um for you so if you had one tool in your shed that <laughs> you would say, okay, this is it. You can't use anything else, right? In your clinic, what would it be? You're only allowed to use one. I know it's not the perfect word. Only one. You mean in terms of, you know, what would you do to help someone? Like you can only, everyone that walks in your door, you can only use one thing. So what would it be? 
I'm like, I'm asking the question. I'm thinking to myself, I don't know. I, I can't wait to hear what you said. You know, if I had to answer that, because, you know, there's so many things and everybody's unique and everybody's different. But the thing that I see best is, is fasting, you know, fasting in a plant-based keto diet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think fasting would be mine. You know, and people would think, well, I'm not cellular detox. Well, here's the problem. I mean, cellular detox, it still requires purchasing products. Maybe some people can't afford it. It still requires, you know, a lot of a, fasting is the, the oldest therapy known to man, right? You're relying only on the innate intelligence, right? You can do it on a desert island. You can do it with no money. You can do it. So I, I would agree with that. Yeah. What do you think the number one cause? If, okay, one thing, again, right? We know there's many, but one thing that's causing most of the disease today. What do you think that thing is? Sympathetic today. overload. What was it? Sympathetic overload. So people are in stress mode. They go into the sympathetic nervous yep. system. That kills everything. You know, you could be eating a phenomenal diet and you can be exercising, but if you're in this stress, stress, stress mode and the sympathetic nervous system's in control and you don't let the parasympathetic get control, the vagus nerve and all those things that heal, you can't heal. I've seen it. Wow. So, so what are some of the other things that drive this sympathetic state? Meaning we all, sympathetic is like fight or flight, save your life. Parasympathetic is your daily you know, maintenance. So what are some of the things locking us into that? Yeah, well, look, at, look around, look at the news. The, the news is playing on getting people up in arms against something. Um, people tend to have stressful jobs. They're trying to make ends meet, right? They're, their kids are doing whatever they're doing. And there's certain people who are wired just naturally, when you look at genetics, I'm actually wired for sympathetic dominance, and I've had to really work at using strategies and techniques like heart math and meditation to get myself down. But, you know, there's certain genetic patterns where you're going to be more likely to be what I call hypervigilant, right? You're just like everything causes your perfectionist. you got to be perfect, and you get upset about everything, the worriers of the world. So, I mean, the, the, a lot of it is, is driven by... The, well, there's the stress of the electromagnetics. You know, there's just stress of the toxins in the environment. So all of those things are driving this. The body doesn't know the difference, physical, chemical, emotional. It, doesn't it know puts you difference. in that same adaptive stress that you're talking about, right? So, so what are some of your, uh, you know, favorite solutions to that? You know, if someone's going, okay, well, that's me. What are your favorite solutions? Well, I really love a process from the Institute of HeartMath. And it's a process of combining breath with appreciation. And you have to stop yourself. But before you start to apply it when you're in a stressful situation, I just have people just stop, you know, 30 seconds to two minutes, multiple times throughout the day before each meal is perfect. Because in order to digest your food, you have to be in parasympathetic. You cannot digest food when you're in sympathetic, which is the fight, fight. And how many people are sitting at their desk, scarfing down food while they're watching the news or, you know, stewing at their boss or trying to get a report done? You, your body is not going to recognize that food. I am guilty of that. You are? I, have I am. To an extent. I am. I, I, you know, I'm such a goer, right? And I'm not a stressed out person. I'm not. But I'm that. That puts me in sympathetic. And, you know, I, I'm just dry, 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 you know, and, and it's just simply not good. You know, it's, I mean... You know, sitting down, you know, with your family, sitting down and discussing and, be, and being grateful. If I just did that, man, I darn it, you know, I, I'm writing it down right now. Is one of my goals. 
because I really, I mean, I just have to be better there. You just struck. Yeah, I agree with you that that's something that's the hardest thing to do, but I've seen it where people just do that through it. That all I want you to do is take some deep breaths, chew your food thoroughly, stop in between bites and just reflect on how appreciative you are to have this food. And it makes all the difference in the world. You know, you mentioned breathing, you know, it's like, and I, I think people watching this because I've heard it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's so in vogue right now, you know, breathing, breathing, meditating, breathing, breathing. But you know what? It's like, I, you know, the person I'm speaking for the person watching, you know, I, I just, you know, I don't do it with any lasting time. Meaning I do it for three days, I stop. I do it for three days, I don't know, anything, I stop, right? It's like, so, I mean, how have you put that honestly into your life? Because I'm speaking for the person who goes, yeah, 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 I know, I know. But it, you know, I just really haven't put it in my life. Well, with the heart math, I, I studied it. I learned it. I saw the changes in people and I was still guilty of blah, 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 blah. So I've just started to actually really when my, when my son is now 21, but was four, he was a tough kid. He was a, a challenging, challenge everything kid. And so I learned this process and I'm like, I should be doing my breathing now and I just want to strangle him, you know? And I, I got to the point where I go, okay, I'm going to try this. And I remember one day, this made such a difference in my life. He was having a tantrum because what? I wanted him to clean his room or, you know, bring something down or come to dinner. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go in there and he's going to, there, he's going to throw stuff at me. This is going to be a challenge. So I went in there and I, before I went in there, I took some breaths. I went into appreciation. I said, this is a kid who's not going to get walked over in life. He's going to grow up to be a fine adult. He was strong and powerful. And I just thought about all the things I appreciated about him. I opened the door and I said, can you please come downstairs and pick up all the Legos that are on the floor in the living room? And then we're going to have dinner. And he looked at me. He could feel that presence. And he said, okay, mom. I, I was shocked. I was shocked. So that there, just having an experience like that made me, it wasn't like I had it down right away. The thing about doing this heart math appreciation thing, it's not like sitting and meditating for half an hour twice a day. You can do it in a matter of seconds. So I just, every time something stressful comes at me, yeah, take us through the process. So I basically will focus first. I like to focus on my heart, right? Because that's the part, place where, you know, it's part of the parasympathetic, right, too. So focus on my heart, and I'll take a few long, slow, deep breaths. My shoulders drop, and that's the normal part. But then I think about some place, some person, some situation where I felt joyful that I can appreciate right now. So for me, I go to the beach. And I go, okay, I'm on the beach in Maui. I'm hearing the sound of the waves. I'm seeing the waves on the shore. I'm smelling the sea air. I'm getting into the water. And I so appreciate that I've had that experience. It's awesome. It doesn't take much. And you can feel the shift in your body. Well, I, I think the helpful hint there that I just took away from that was, you can do this at any time. You can do it before a meal, you can do it before you have to confront your child or anyone, your husband, wife, whatever it is, right. a situation, a meeting after a stressful moment, you know, so you can just do it anytime. It's not like, because I think that you hit it, 
you know, maybe you knew you hit it right away, but um, you hit it because, you know, again, people are so busy that, uh, and they think they have to put the structured time of meditation into their day and breathing. And it, it happens for a period that it doesn't because life takes over. But if this becomes a habit to do in the moments, I think it's doable for people. It I mean, is. And the more you practice it at those times, you just say, I'm just going to do this before I get out of bed. And I'm going to think about all the things I appreciate. You're going to attract more appreciate, things to appreciate that day. You're going to notice more things. Same thing right before sleep. It helps to get you to sleep better. But then before each meal, and you just get into this habit. And then when those stressful situations come at you, like, I'm on a webinar and I've got all this technology and there's 1,500 people waiting and all of a sudden the technology fails. Instead of going into, oh my God, what am I going to do? Which is going to turn off my prefrontal cortex where I could actually think and solve the problem, put me into my lizard brain and I'm useless. I just take some breaths and say, okay, how can I solve this problem? And I go into it and people always comment, how do you stay so calm? How do you stay so calm? It's like, it's not my nature to be calm. But it is practice and it is rehearsal. But it started out, I couldn't meditate. I tried. I took every class going and I tried. And I could not sit still long enough. I could not sit still long enough. So this I can do in a matter of a few breaths. And I can feel the shift in my body. Now I do meditate because I got this really cool device called the Muse. And it's a game for me now. I'm at 894 days straight of meditation. And I don't want to break that. So, where do you get it? Where, what is it? Um, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it on Muse. Just do, just do a Google search. M-U-S-E. You wear it. It measures your brain waves, and it reads into a little app. And yeah, it's a little bit of, of uh, Bluetooth, but it's not much, and you're only wearing it for 10 minutes or whatever number of time, minutes you do. And it gives you this feedback, and it's a biofeedback. So it's giving you this nice little waves or the rainforest, whatever you do. And then when you start to go wander off and start to solve your problems of the world and go off thinking, it goes shh, shh, shh. And you go, oh yeah. And then when you're calm, it goes, the birds go tweet, 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 tweet. I like that. I like and that. And, and it's helped me. And it's a game, you know, the competitive. If, if my wife were doing it, all you'd hear is tweeting. <laughs> tweet, 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 tweet. <laughs> what do you have, a bird game over there? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, for fun, I'm going to make her do it. Um, okay, this is the last question, you know, for, I mean, you know, from pain to purpose is I think all of our story, right? But looking back at your life, I mean, I can look at my life and say, wow, if it wasn't for that tragedy or what we would look at in the moment is like this horrific thing, I wouldn't be me. I wouldn't be able to serve the way I serve, do what I do. What was your big one in your life that you would say, man, if it wasn't for that horrible thing that I thought was horrible at the time, I wouldn't be you. Can I two, give two? What, yeah, you can do two. Well, the first one was losing my health in my 20s as yeah. valedictorian and, you know, always super smart to be sitting across from you and being able to just like, I couldn't even focus on your words. The brain fog was so bad. And then all the other physical symptoms. That was what got me out of my, um, my career in computers and into a career in health. But then about a month before my graduate two months before my graduation my mother died suddenly of a heart attack mm. 56 years old she died suddenly of a heart attack and i just went into the why 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 and that's what got me really looking at how do i motivate and inspire people how do i use this to really drive me to do what i need to do two years later same thing happened to my dad 
And then about 10 years later, one of my sisters got lymphoma and died within three months. And at that point, it was like, this has got to stop. They got, they didn't get the right care. They didn't get the right testing. You know, my sister was just given radiation and, and uh, chemo and left to die. And nobody talked to them about their health habits. Nobody talked to them about their, their food. Nobody talked to them. I did, but I'm just a family member. They weren't listening to me. So those are the things, like death of close family members was what really drove me to do why I'm so passionate right now. It played a role in my life as well. You know, I, I watched my, I always wonder why, you know, what, gosh, what drives me, you know, to find out like kind of how to age slow and slow, you know, I'm, I, I just don't want to suffer like my parents did. You know, I, I watched the golden years of their life be crushed by disease. And, you know, my, my dad, uh, when I was always trying to motivate him to make changes, right? It, his theory was, you know, well, you're going to die of something anyway, so I might as well enjoy myself, right? I mean, honestly, that was his, that was his whole mantra, right? It my was like, mother said the same. Yeah, yeah right. But my, his mantra changed the last 10 years of his life, too. And this is his words. Son of a bitch, if I'd have known I was going to live so damn long, I'd have taken better care of myself. <laughs> I, I would have listened to you, son. <laughs> that's a true story, right? You know, it's like, I mean, because he regretted it, right? It's like, you know, he just thought he was just going to die. He just thought it was like, I'm going to enjoy myself and die. He didn't anticipate living exactly. so long, unhealthy, miserable. And he watched my mother, too. My, he had changed my mother's diapers, for goodness sakes. You know, it's oh. like. That's you know, so, I mean, you know, that motivates me. I'm just, I'm not choosing that. I, I'm not. That's why I just dig and dig and dig, you know, and um, my goal is to do the exact opposite. I, I'm going to be, you know, in my 90s, you know, maybe over 100 doing everything with my grandkids and loving it and doing what I do. I, you know, that's it. Exactly. That's a great motivating force, right? And my, unfortunately for both my parents, they did have the dead you know, suddenly they just died. They didn't have any. That's a motivating factor too, right? I mean, it's like because who wants that? That's scary. Who wants that, right? I want to leave my kids, right? When my I was fifty six, my son was going off to uh, college. I would have not been able to be there for him. Going yeah, my dad thought he was going to live to like you know ninety, and just that would happen. You know, it didn't happen. <laughs> but who wants that? No, we don't want either one of those, right? Either one. I just want to live a long and healthy life and inspire and help people until, you know, 200 and then, you know, maybe drop off then. Well, Rita Marie, thank you for coming on Cell TV, Unstoppable Health. Uh, sounds like an amazing book. Uh, it really does. And uh, you live an amazing life. So you're, in fact, unstoppable. So thanks for all your uh, tips. This is great. People need to do this testing. Uh, we need to know because if we can yeah. see that there's a problem, then we can make a change. Yeah, so and we even gave you some of those. So thanks for being on. Thank you for having me. And thank you for all the amazing work that you're doing in the world. No, appreciate it. Well, that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, which was brought to you by Fastonic Molecular Hydrogen. Please check it out at getfastonic.com. We'll be back next week and every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. We truly appreciate your support. You can always find us at CellularHealing.tv and please remember to spread the love by liking, subscribing, giving an iTunes review, or sharing the show with anyone who may benefit from the information heard here. And as always, thanks for listening.